Bob, have you taken your obligatory drink of whatever flavored water you have? I have uh, diet green tea citrus. Um, okay. Today, yes, it's wow. quite tasty. Wow. It's a nice mix of lemon, orange, and lime. How so it's very happening? citrusy. Hence hmm. the name. Hence the name, yeah. <laughs> Entry music. It's the Bob and Josh Show. An exceptionally exciting episode today. Michelle Park joins us. She is a change agent. She specializes in change and like big, scary, difficult change. Great conversation as we talk through different styles. Uh, Michelle and I are on somewhat opposite ends of the spectrum so a lot of really good dialogue there really enjoyed the chat i will post her linkedin profile in the notes below so be sure to reach out follow whatever you want to do say hi michelle would love it we have a special offer for all of our medicast listeners that's right you one month free access to walter our ai chatbot built on over 1.5 million words that Bob and I have spoken over the past decade plus. Use code META254, all one word, to get one free month. Your first month free. I mean, come on. You get to ask Bob and I any question you want, whenever, wherever you are. All right, here we go. On to the episode. What are we exploring today? Change, like hard change, difficult change. And as you may have noticed, we have a guest speaker. We have a special guest. I know. It's so exciting. That specializes in this. So, Michelle, introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers and what you do, what you focus on, what gets you fired up yeah. about gigs that you're working on. Cool. So, I'm Michelle Pock. I'm an agile leadership coach. So I'm based in Nashville, as we've just discussed. Uh, and what I really love helping people with is kind of, you know, Agile practices and things, of course, but mostly how we use agile ways of thinking to navigate change. So, you know, how even even applying it when we're when we're introducing agile to teams, you know, that process that they're going through and giving up old ways of working and everything that's associated with that. A lot of times it's not it's not just how you filled out whatever spreadsheet or, or whatever process there's, there's so much more that's wrapped into that. So, you know, helping people come to terms with what they need to do to change and moving forward um, in that way. So, you know, my background is um, I've done agile coaching for a while and kind of hit the same patterns of not being able to influence leaders or finding that, you know, teams would do things as long as I was there. But as soon as I left, they'd go back to the old way that they were working. And so, you know, after doing that several times, I decided to go back to graduate school um, for executive coaching and um, leadership and organizational development. So that kind of unlocked this whole new way of interacting with people and getting really curious about what they're experiencing there. So um, the work I do now is really focused on that and you know, leading with empathy and inquiry um, instead of just uh, running after them with a spreadsheet <laughs> and a whistle or whatever, whatever it is I used to do in the past. I, I just love the image of a spreadsheet and a whistle, like you're yeah. running down the hallway with a whistle, <laughs> just like. Did you do your daily scrap? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> You've exceeded your time box, you know, oh, all these that's other. Great. That's great. Oh. Is there a, like everywhere you go with this new realm of your focus where like, everybody has the same thing that you've got to coach people through that you like, you just walk in the door and like, okay, number one, I got to go attack this and then we'll figure out what all the other problems are. Or is it never the same? I, I think there are some patterns. So, so patterns of assumptions that, that folks make. So when we have organizational change, you know, the people who are like on the front lines or the teams, if they didn't make that decision, you know, a lot of times they have a perception that whoever is immediately above them has absolute authority and control over what, what is happening to them. So it's like, how could they decide to do this? You know, that when you go and you talk to that person, they will reveal to you that they 
equally feel helpless and par- like they're squeezed by what their boss is making them. And this goes like all the way up, you know, even the very top, which is uh, totally astonishing to me. I had no idea, you know, I had this perception for a long time that, you know, people who have a C in their title, you know, feel like, oh, well, I'm just in charge and I make the decisions and whatever. The truth is, you know, they have stakeholders that they have to satisfy. A lot of times they feel like they have to do things instead of choosing to do things. And so, you know, when you think about like, how are we moving through change? It's not just the teams that feel a lack of empowerment a lot of the time. It's it's also the people above them. So, you know, some of the strategies to help a team get open to changing are the same things you end up using with leaders and vice versa. But um, it's all about, you know, understanding what's going on with that individual and what's at stake for them. Yeah, one of the things that I've seen, I've been through a lot of acquisitions or investments and things like that and roundabout every place has gone through like the first 12 to 16 months where the executives of the company i was working for were 100 percent board driven so what the board said that they and they did it uh, and it seemed like over time that 12 to 16 months the executives were like, wait a minute, like we're operators of this company. We know better than they do. They acquired us, bought us, invested in us for a reason. Let's remember that that's who we are. And oftentimes it's the board telling them that. Mm -hmm. Have you seen something similar and or found a way to accelerate that? Or is it just like, that's the time it takes? I don't know. I haven't had probably as many of those experiences as you have, Josh, like, you know, with seeing that kind of pattern, but, but that, um, you know, sense of like, oh, okay, there's somebody else in charge now. Like, we, we yeah. need to, like do what they're, they're telling us to do. Uh, you know, I, I was re- recently coaching um, uh, an executive, a CTO at a startup. And, you know, one of the things that we're working on is negotiating their roadmap. So he, you know, shared, hey, we have a roadmap and um, I always know that we can't deliver on it. Like I always know it's unreasonable, but you know, he's his business partner, much more assertive individual, you know, be pushing, like we need to get this, we need to get this. And so, you know, they, they had this little dance where it was, you push, I say yes, we deliver what we deliver and that's that's what it is and it's never what we said we were going to do. Yeah. But the stakes as they're as they're growing started to become higher because there are more and more people. It's not just a private agreement anymore between those two individuals. It's something that, you know, now their investors are looking at and they're growing customer base are like you said you were going to have this feature. And so I think, you know, you start to see these dynamics like behavioral dynamics around communication or, you know, how we like, at what point am I comfortable pushing back against you? Where do I feel like you've stopped listening? So I stopped trying and and how that cascades then to the team. Like, you know, it's really interesting to me, these kind of unresolved conflicts that the leaders might have, how that shapes the culture without them even realizing it. And, you know, there's just so much interesting, like, research on that and how, you know, I think about Edgar Schein and, you know, a lot of his work on organizational culture. And he does all, you know, talks about these case studies of, you know, here's here's the founder, here's conflicts that the founder is maybe even unaware of in themselves or, you know, that they just haven't resolved and how that gets cascaded into the culture of the company and organizational dysfunction. I just think it's like so fascinating how that gets mirrored out. Um, maybe, but you're nodding. I wonder if you're <laughs> recognizing some of that. Too. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, one of the things that I, I am not as good at and Bob reminds me of this all the time is like studying references like that and like to be able to recognize that i have to like run my head into a wall until i'm like oh wait a minute like this is a thing uh, but the it's 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 crazy because one of the things i end up telling ceos is like this is all your fault and you just have to accept <laughs> it you know uh and and you have to understand how every word you say the impact that that has 
on the culture and your presence when you're introducing things or talking about things has a major impact and getting folks to a realization where it is bigger than them and it is bigger than that contract you mentioned between the two people that whether you want to or not, and this is a lesson that Bob taught me a decade plus ago that like, whether you want to or not, your role carries weight and you have to accept that and you need to be responsible with it. And for a lot of growing executives or new execs, like that's a, that's a thing because they haven't had to carry that burden with them. And now, you know, we've talked about leadership being a lonely place and that's that, and that's part of the issue. Yeah. Yeah. Like your, whatever your individual struggles are, they get amplified through the organization. Like, like taking this, you know, roadmap conundrum is really interesting because over time, you know, one of the issues that we're working on coaching is time management for this executive. And, you know, he's saying, I'm just like over, like, I've got so much to do. I just don't have enough time to get the strategic thing done. I feel like I'm always responding to people's requests and I never have time to get my own work done. It's like, there's an interesting little correlation there. It's like, huh. So like, like at the daily level, your, your day is reactive to what other people need and you're doing it out of the best of intentions, like to be of service to others, to make sure that they're not getting blocked. And at the same time, you're not making any progress on those strategic things. I'm like, this is also happening at a macro level. You know, when you look at how your team is behaving, because you're mo- like, to your point, Josh, you're, you're modeling that behavior and you're prioritizing quick response, you know, serving other people ahead of the things that you know to be strategically important. And so if you as that leader can't make the time or won't make the time for the things that are most valuable for you to be doing, guess what? Like the rest of your team won't be doing that either. And so like, it's just kind of fascinating to see like the things that people bring to coaching about themselves personally, there's usually like a correlation to something else that's going in the organization when they're at that level. And, you know, drawing that connection, I think like, for this leader in particular, seeing the impact, like, oh, it was really hard for him to give, like, to give that space for other people to solve those problems and not being the first one to respond. And, but recognizing like, hey, this is actually having this kind of impact on our ability to deliver. And I'm, I'm inhibiting the growth of my team by doing this. And I'm inhibiting my own ability to deliver on strategic things like that, that awareness is what helped him change that behavior. But without connecting that, you know, just be, you know, your classic, like, Oh, too much to do. Never have enough time. I guess this is my life now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Can I share a story? I'm not sure if it's around this, but it's an interview story. But I think it it may it may spur some conversation between you guys. I, I once my last job interview that I ever did uh, was a long time ago. I was interviewing for a VP role, a development. I was I was sort of oscillating. Do I really want to go back and have a day job? And I interviewed with the C suite of a company, a very successful company, sort of a mature startup, and. Uh, the the driving force was the CTO, one of the four or five founders, uh, so the chief technologist, if you will, uh, from the beginning, was had run out of band, had run out of ability to scale, and had run out of was technically astute but not leadership astute, not terribly so though, but but was re- and it, the company was fairly big. And everyone, and as I interviewed with every, every, every C letter that I interviewed with, I interviewed with probably five or six, the CEO and, and others, everyone described him, you know, as, a, as it's really a problem. It's impeding our, our growth. It's impeding our ability to compete technically, et cetera. Brilliant technically, just can't do that. Uh, and, but but then they decided that I was too strong and they really didn't want to have the hard discussion with him. So they wanted to give me a little peace and hope that I could influence him to change his behavior rather than make us peers mm. and and really disrupting the organization. So what they eventually, I, I think they also declined because I'm old. Right. So, so, so I, in fact, they said, you know, do you, everyone asked me, do you think you have the energy for this? <laughs> there's a, there's a tell, there's a, te- like, 
<laughs> yeah, there's a tell. Everyone in the Metacast, there's a tell when they start talking about your energy. And I didn't take a nap, right? I, it's not like I was napping in front of them. So, 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 um, and then I, I found out later they hired someone who I knew I had actually worked with, and I knew, and they hired them as a VP, and they hired them because they were more subservient to the CTO. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then they didn't, and then. I think he left after a while. For, there was control issues and things like that. But what I thought about was it wasn't, I guess it wasn't bad enough for them really to step in. Was, yeah. it's, there's almost like a, a point where, you know, everyone was talking about it being a huge problem, but no one wanted to confront the CTO. Uh, in fact, when I talked to the CEO, I'm like, are you coaching him through this? And he's like, No. No, no, I'm hoping I'm hoping you can do that or someone else can do that, uh, which was maybe another, you know, another problem for the growth of that, that, that CEO. But what I'm getting in is pain level, right? Change yeah. and pain level. The other thing I noticed with the CTO is because he wasn't getting any feedback, he, he lacked self-awareness. So I don't think he really understood his weaknesses. I mean, I think he did, but he really didn't. And he didn't understand the impact and how it was impeding the overall strategic vision of the company. Any reactions to what I said? And I felt like yeah. that was sort of a common thing. Any threads there to peel away? Yeah, I'm just like the thing that you just said about that lack of awareness. I think, you know, it's really key. Like, so one of the things, you know, I'll work with leaders on from a coaching perspective, you know, getting that feedback. So, you know, getting in the habit of soliciting feedback, not just one time for an assessment, but ongoing. And so, like, if that's not a practice that you have established for yourself, it feels for like, you'll just be like, I wonder what people think about it. And then that's the end of the thought. <laughs> Right. Right. Like, well, how might you find out? Like, how might you, you know, or, or if you're changing something about your leadership and you're not sure if it's landing well, you know, I, like, it, like in these coaching conversations, some rhetorical questions that will be asked, but like, how would I know if this is working? It's like, well, perhaps you have a conversation with that person. <laughs> like, exactly. you know, what, what would you, what would tell you that, that, you know, that it's working well? And there, there may be some things, of course, that you're observing, but just even, you know, encouraging that dialogue, the direct dialogue, how can I serve you better? Or, or is there something that, that I could do differently that would make your job easier? And, you know, that like, you know, that essential ingredient for coaching is like wanting to be coached or wanting to be helped. And I think that openness to feedback, like there's nothing that can really happen until that person is even curious about, you know, how, how they are being and if that's, um, you know, serving the organization and serving their own goals. Well, I think there was two, you're right. I think there was the dynamic of how receptive are you? Yeah. And, and my sense was I was interviewing him a few times, so I got a little bit of a sense. My sense was he wasn't that, he wasn't totally blocked, but he wasn't, he was, there was he had a very healthy ego, let's put it that way, but frankly, <laughs> and from a management point of view. But yeah. it was also, I noticed that the all the peers, the C-suite, everyone was looking for someone else to have the conversation. So here's oh, like yeah. a senior, this is an executive team. I remember the chief people officer was, was you know, I was like, I had, you know, have you given that feedback? Like, here's all the problems. And it was very consistent. What was cool is it was very consistent. Like the problem space was consistent from exec to exec, but no one wanted, no yeah. one wanted to tell them that. So it's your receptivity, but then there's this lack on the other side, this lack of whatever courage or to, to have that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I find that a lot, especially like with teams where, you know, I, I joke about like being called in to like do a hit. <laughs> Like, okay, we need you to like do a hit on this team. Like, like here's this feedback that, that nobody's comfortable or willing to give. Yeah, like you exactly. coach, go in and tell them. It's like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> That's, I don't want to get triangulated into this situation with like, how, how will you be planning to share that feedback with the team exactly. or with that leader? Um, exactly. But yeah, it's a trap. <laughs> yeah. That's where I get frustrated the most is you know, the example that Bob gave, I bet most of the company feels that same way. And yeah. they know that CTO isn't effective. And, you know, we go back to, it's all your fault. Like, they're allowing that message of, 
not quite good enough is good enough here. Yeah. So then that leads to a larger issues. And I often find myself in similar spots uh, to what you just mentioned, where like, I feel like I'm the Terminator. Like I get walked in and you're doing like, the hit. Yeah. And <laughs> right. And they're like, okay, tell us who should go. Uh, and it's always, uh, it's always frustrating that they can't figure that out. Like they know it, but they don't want to like be the person that puts it out there. And those, like, I haven't figured that out because everybody that's ever been through anything like that knows it's better on the other side. Mm. But so many executive teams are unwilling to do the hard work, which is the coaching, the conversations, and then, replacing and that and that's where things happen a lot and that that that, that's the challenge that i've i've not been able to figure out a shortcut or like a reason what like i get people are scared like that's the only thing i can think of is they're just scared and it's hard to do they don't want to hurt someone's feelings but in the end if you just let that drag on right the message you're sending to your company and ultimately your customers because you know, not good enough is going to be good enough and it's going to melt into your product and the responsibility you have to fix that. But it seems like everybody just like turns tail and runs. And I don't real, real quickly, Steven talked about being scared, right? He said, people haven't been taught to give feedback and mentoring, but we've covered it before. And we have talked around this in the Metacast. And so it becomes a big, scary thing. I, I get that. And I, and I, I, I can sort of tolerate that at a team level, at a team lead level. Uh, I remember this chief people officer. I'm just bringing it back to this, and it's not a hyper. This is a real, this is a real story. Um, I think she had 25 years of experience. Had worked at, you know, places like Adobe, IBM, uh, Oracle, yeah. uh, and, and and what I, this is unacceptable. The fact that you're running, it, look at your role. Look at the privilege you have in the company. Look at the role that you have in the company. Look at the years of experience you have. <laughs> it is absolutely freaking unacceptable for you to not be able to give feedback to a peer. Uh, like yeah. that's grounds for you want to terminate the peer. You should look in the mirror and terminate yourself because you don't <laughs> you don't have the the skill set to do. And it, it, the CEO is the same thing. I'm like, and I had this. <laughs> I partly had this conversation, uh, not not this confrontationally, uh, but I. I, I get fear, but at some levels in the company, you you have to be able to deliver. Just like you look at a team and say, you have to deliver yeah. products. At some fundamental level, people have to be able to deliver on the role that they've been hired to do. Yeah. Right. And 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 we don't always hold the leaders accountable to that. So yeah. Yeah, I think I so I, I don't disagree with you at all about that, Bob. <laughs> and and at the same time, I think like when we're in these situations what we're what we're seeing is ambivalence right it's it, there's yeah, there's yeah. something about it that's not resolved so if it were clear like to josh's point you know you might know theoretically and that from past experience that it will be better on the other side but in the present moment yeah. that is not abundantly clear there's something that is stuck so you know one one exercise that I do sometimes with clients and and even like for coaches who are working with this type of scenario is thinking like really exploring that space of ambivalence. So you know from an empathetic point of view. So if you think about like this you know leader where they're not delivering this information they're choosing day after day like they have this in their head they're not saying it day after day after day and they know that there's there's some kind of runway that is going to end (laughs) where this is going to become like there will be consequences but at the moment like it doesn't matter if i don't say it today it might not matter if i don't say it tomorrow at some point there will be something to it so you know one of the first things i invite like my my clients to explore is like what are what are the facts about that the current situation so what is it that makes this ambivalence tolerable right now any thoughts about that to start no i mean that's a that's a question 
that I struggle with as well. You know, I've been through a lot of acquisitions or in investments where, you know, a company was really successful. They were like a couple million dollar company and then they just exploded. And now they're like 250 million and they've had to grow and that stretched people thin and you need to bring in new roles or replace roles. And like, I go back to the Terminator where part of, part of what I do is help people understand like, Hey, what's, what, what's good enough? Because there's areas of systems at times where they, where they just don't have any experience in what good even looks like. So part of it is like, okay, here's what good looks like. And here's how your teams measure up. And then what I end up doing is like, here's a plan on how we fix that problem. And I am always like, let's turn the crank. Let's go. Like, let's start this next week. And everybody is like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. And then I get an email or a Slack or something like a couple of days later. So that thing you talked about that we want to do like next week. Uh, yeah, we're going to slow down on that. And then it just slows down forever. And then I'm there like, let's, let's go, let's go, let's go. And it's always fascinating that that same experience happens. And so what I've been trying to do is how do I, how do I shrink that time frame? where that paranoia or fear comes back in and then they're frozen. And then it's like all this effort to get them over the hump to actually do the thing that they know they need to do, but are scared of. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I have a little theory about this and I don't know that I have like got no mathematical proof that it's true, but, but you know, so what you're describing there, like you're pushing moving forward and whether you're not getting right away pushed back, but it comes yeah, <laughs> after yeah. a little while. So like when you're thinking about like this scenario, what, what is at stake for you in pushing them to implement that and to go fast and to mm-hmm. put it into practice? What makes that important for you? Um, I, I have this feeling of responsibility of you hired me to come in and help solve this problem. And I've identified, and I'm very aggressive in this realm, right? So like, this is just my personality. Like, okay, we, we have the answers. So like, are we going to use it? Are we going to do something or, or not? And then the longer it drags on, the longer I feel like as a coach or whatever it might be, like, I'm not achieving the mission that I signed up for. So I get this responsibility of like, shit, we got to do this. Like, like it's just dragging on because I start to see all the downstream stuff and I connect the dots to like, oh, well, you want to know why that's bad over there? Because, you know, and you draw back to like, oh, these are the moves we need to make. And yeah, it's that's so for me, realistically, because I'm temporary is relatively low, but it's like my personal pride and responsibility to my customer of I've got to do a really good job. That's what drives me. But I don't, theoretically, I don't have to live with the decision, you know, uh, over the next four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you are like motivated by delivering on the value that you said you were going to like deliver your reputation, feeling like you accomplished something. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're like, what might be going on for these people who are like, ah, let's just wait. <laughs> like, what's what's motivating them or what's important to them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the, well, that's where I don't have a good answer. Mm. Because, it, because to me, it just feels like that's scary. I don't want to do that. I could be wrong what you know it's all this like anxiety that builds up and i try and use my aggressive style to like push them through that and push them over the edge uh but that but it you know it hasn't worked like i wanted it to yeah (laughs) you know maybe that's just not a way that it would ever work you know so it might be just a thing i've got to change yeah, well, this is so this is where I don't have any mathematical proof. But my my sense is sometimes like the more that we feel the need to prove something or demonstrate something, other people perceive that and also feel that need, but probably in the opposite way. So like, if if you know, that person is concerned, like they know how to do their job today. They have they've been doing it for however long. And you're in 
inviting them to make a change or pushing them to make a change, they don't know, like they hope that you're right and they want to trust you, but they don't know that they can deliver in that way. And the reason why they're changing, that may be a little obscure or like they haven't started to feel the pain. Like we were, you know, Bob was talking about earlier. There's no, there's no immediate pain today that is saying I have to change this right now. And so, you know, when they're thinking about, well, what could I fail if I, you know, will I be able to deliver in the same way that I have if I'm starting to do this in this new way? And so I think, you know, the, the higher the anxiety around like proving something for the person pushing the change, I think you see higher anxiety for the people who are being changed in terms of like, are we going to be able to do this? So to me, that's it's like almost like a law of physics. It's like, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. I don't, you know, I have no mathematical proof for this, yeah. but what's your reaction to that, Josh? Like, does that feel like it resonates in some way or no? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And Again, part of it is my personality and playing very high level sports where coaches were like, ah, like do it. And yeah. like, if you don't do it, we'll get somebody else that does. And so that's how I was groomed. And then like my immediate reaction to you and what you said is like, okay, so I just like, and this is an exaggeration, which Bob knows I tend to do, especially about him. Uh, like I just go into the meeting with like a Hawaiian shirt, not buttoned. I put my feet up on the table. I'm like, listen, you guys can change if you want to. Like, I don't really care, but like, here's a thing you could kind of maybe do and it would make things, you know, uh, yeah, you should try it or don't, I don't care, you know? So, so that's the, that's, I go to that exaggeration because I'm not sure I have the tools in my toolkit to do it that different way yet. So that's where like, yeah, that sounds yeah. good. But like, Michelle, I don't even know how to do that. Like, what, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like, I'm hearing, you know, two extremes, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like football coach screaming in your face yeah. or, you know, let's just, uh, let's just hang out, yeah. you know, have a luau, like whatever man surfs up. So there's, there's obviously like some, some space that's in the middle yeah. for that. And the way I would describe that space or what I've found to be useful just in my own, own experience is getting curious, not about your reasons for them to change, but what are their reasons to change or not change? So helping like stepping into that perspective and looking at, so from their point of view, they have this guy, Josh Anderson is in there. He's, he's encouraging them to change. Somebody believed in him and paid good money to bring him here. What happens if they don't do what you're suggesting? So there, there are consequences. They have choices. They can stall they could not do anything. They can openly resist you. They could go along with it willingly. For each of those and the you know subtle variations that they might play out, there are consequences to those actions. And so, you know, often when we're sitting in ambivalence, we haven't played the game out to the to its natural conclusion. So what is, you know, what is the consequence? You know, what are the pros that they see of the status quo? What are the cons of the status quo? What are the pros of changing? What are the cons of changing? So does that, you know, what, what's your reaction to, you know, thinking about like their moves that they can make and, you know, kind of helping them to see, see the chessboard, if you will. The, I'd say the most common issue I run into in that realm is similar to what I just said to you, like, okay, I hear you. I don't know how to do that. You know, like I, yeah. like I was working with an executive a while back and it was like very common, especially at transitional times within a company of, I need accountability. Like I need my leaders within the company to be accountable. And, and like, Josh, how do I make them accountable? And that's where, you know, the Terminator Josh comes in is like, well, I mean, you could invest the time and the money and hire coaches and do all that and uh, help them discover what that is. But do you have time? Is that something you realistically have time, money and effort to put mm -hmm. into it? Or do you just go find people that already operate like that? And I, 
I've been through so many situations of acquisitions and investments and all that stuff where there have been times where that happens and I understood it. And there have been times where that happened. I didn't get it because I didn't understand. So uh, that's where I run into trouble is getting the pros and cons. Like a con is I don't know how. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a big, like, Right. Not not just that example, but there's some real big heavy hitter things in there. We're like, this is my first time doing this. It's the first time yeah. I'm being a CXO. And like, sure, sounds great, Josh, but I don't know how to do it. And you know what? I'm paying you to help me make that happen. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so those are things where I end up having to like have that discussion of like, okay, like we can we can invest in whatever way is necessary to get you, your team, whatever it is there. Or you can go through and make a couple moves that will make that happen faster with potentially higher risk, right? Because you always Mm -hmm. have a very uh, intense hiring process that costs a lot of money. And then if you have a swing and a miss, that's tough. Right, right. I'm hearing, I'm I'm almost hearing two modes as I'm listening to you. I'm hearing Josh be, you use Terminator, but I think of that as, Agile coaching advisory. I'm using the wheel as a backdrop, like advising or consultative mode. I'm here to drive change. Uh, and then when I hear Michelle, it's like soft, squishy coaching, professional coaching mode. Yeah. Uh, and it's time as a factor. So I, I'm probably wrong, but you know, Josh sounds faster, right? So attack mode is faster, but it may not be sticky. It may mm. not be resilient. So if I want resilient change, then I, I feel like Michelle's is probably, but it's going to take a while. True. Right. And it's, and it's, and, and I mean, if I'm in a startup, it, it may take a long while before we have the self-discovery and self-awareness <laughs> and things like that. So I'm, I'm highlighting the tension. It's not right or wrong, but is, am I getting it? Maybe there's two different styles. There's some dynamics and there's some tension in it. Any reaction to that? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think, I think you're onto something there. And, and I think they're both are needed, like awareness of the approach and the pros and cons of the approach are important, right? So, so the, you know, when we come in with an invite, like if we're feeling the pressure of doing that, that, that permeates the environment. And so then, then we get resistance in a heavier way. I've done this so many times. It's like, it's just, it's not, I'm laughing. It's really not funny because of how much money and time I've wasted for people. But, you know, there's, there's also like, you know, this slower, like kind of slower approach, kind of getting people to think through their own options, you know, having awareness, how long can you let that play out? Like there, there can't be an infinite, like, oh, well, maybe I never decide that I want to do that. You know, when we're working in organizations, we're in, it's not a personal, it is a personal discovery, but it's in the context of an organization. So there are consequences for not making a change that's been mandated by your organization. And one of those consequences may be that you are asked to leave the company. So, you know, it's not, it's not as if you just like get to live in this little sandbox, but if you're coaching without the, the end date in mind, you know, you may let people run around without even realizing like, you know, you're coming to the end of the road here. Um, You know, there's, you needed to make a decision a while back about whether you were moving forward or not. Um, but I think like to Josh's earlier point about, you know, the, the cons that are coming up, to me, that's the path. Like the things that people say as like, oh, I can't, I can't do that. This is why I can't move forward. Like the obstacles, the way, like that's, that's the thing. Okay. Now, like now I know what I need to, okay, now I've got your objections. Now we can sit and work on that together. The problem is when you're in this silent ambivalence where nobody's telling you what's really on their mind. So, you know, that that's where it kind of, if it's, if you appear like Luau, Josh, and everybody's relaxed and having a good time, then they're, they might be more inclined to say, you know, I got mixed feelings about this. <laughs> and then, and then you start to get the real stuff that you can go ahead into attack mode and actually, you know, address those impediments and resolve them. Hey, Michelle, real quickly, as you were talking just then, force field analysis popped into my head. 
yeah, uh, as man. a tool, as a tactic, right? Yes. Is is that on as a as a tool? Have you used that? Yeah. Could well, you share so about I, that. Yeah. So Kurt Lewin, like you know, one of our founders of organizational development, you know, talked like his idea around change. You know, is rather simplistic, like freeze. Un, you know, unfreeze. <laughs> we have, you know, we're frozen, we're unfrozen, then we refreeze. Um, and obviously, it's not that, like, if you put in very broad categories, I suppose that's true. But, you know, looking at, like, what are the dynamics in the organization that keep us in, you know, this, like, if you think about, like, forces of gravity or, or you know, what are the things that keep us in the status quo versus pushing us towards some kind of change? And, you know, if we take a systems view, we might be looking at, internal to the organization what are things that keep things in equilibrium and external you know we're, we're talking about consequences a lot of times there's an external threat that many people in the, inside the organization are completely unaware of and so they're like they view the change as optional whereas people at the c level you know their roles are more external facing so they see existential threat on the horizon yep. meanwhile everybody's like what do you mean we're just partying we're having a great time and so you know i think one of the these common problems you know people talk about this all the time it's communicating the need for the change and if you don't realize like you are up here like you've got a view from, you know, the top of the ship and you're trying to communicate change to people who are in the hold and just looking out a porthole. Like they, they have no idea what you're seeing. <laughs> they right. have no idea what's going on. Um, but you know, what, what, what are you thinking about with force field analysis, Bob? Well, from a very simplistic point of view, Josh, it's like a, a little tool, at least the way I understood and used it. It's if you have a change in the middle, you identify and you can, sort of elaborate this with a team. What are the forces supporting the change? So this goes back to Michelle, what are the threats? Yeah. Uh, but then we identify what are the forces that that are gonna get in the way of the change? What are the forces? So for the force field is forces for, forces against whatever the change is and clearly identifying them. Then I think that leads to like strategy, which is what can we, what can we leverage well, how can we amplify the forces for positively communication? And then how do we how do we generate momentum to overcome the forces against? Is it training? Is it coaching or whatever? And yeah. that becomes our change strategy. But I think it's transparency in the force field is what's cool. And and you don't do this in a back room. Like you wouldn't do this in a back room. You would actually do this with your leadership. Let's say you were coaching a leadership team through a change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, you might even try to help them identify what are the forces for. Oh, you know what? We're evolving, and some of us may not, may not have the capacity, right, or the or or the desire, yes. <laughs> actually, or whatever. To, <laughs> so that's a force against. So how do we overcome that? Training uh, might be an option. You're not telling them. Uh, bringing in other people. Uh, bringing in co-leaders, bringing in Josh Anderson, right, as an attack dog or something. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But 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 I I find that you know what, it, and you could drill into individual changes. You could dr do a force field analysis for engineering change yeah. versus product change for versus organizational change. Um, attack dog Josh <laughs> just sees it as context. And I see a lot of executives that do a poor job yeah. of providing context. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Either either they don't do it at all or they do it once. And mm. when they mm. do say it, they're unable to frame it in a way that's consumable yeah. by whatever group that they're speaking to. And they don't understand that most of that group, when you introduce that large concepts, scary or good or whatever, stop listening as soon as they hear that and they start thinking about how is that affecting me. So you're going to you're going to talk for 15 minutes about all the good things and all the reasons why and all of that stuff and you think you've achieved the mission, but you haven't because yeah. everybody has that like reaction like, uh-oh, so what does that mean? And then the wheels in their head start turning. So not only do you have to say it, say it well but you have to repeat over and over again so that each time you say it people will progress through your description more and more and they'll actually get to the part where they consume and they hear it as opposed to that panic and then like 
what do right. I do? Uh, that that what, what is Cotter's? Cotter has that eight step. Yeah. What's the first the first step is I forget. Um, Create a sense of urgency. I, I like yeah. that. Yeah. But yeah, he talks about, you know, communicate like how much you've communicated, like do it a thousand times more. I think there's also an element here around culture of community, like subcultures by discipline and how we communicate. Yeah. So most executives mm. are get to the point, like just give me the bullet points, give me the conclusion. I don't, sometimes I care how you got there, but for the most part, I just want the net result. So if that's how your brain is wired to communicate, you've gone through whatever analysis, you've come to the conclusion, you're like, hey, we're doing, we are doing X. You're communicating that though, like to a group of people who are all about the analysis. And so, you know, if you get like analytical people, they're like, show me your math. Like, I want to see the proof of the problem and how you got there. So you've got people who need all of the, from A, you know, all the steps from A to Z to understand how you arrived at your conclusion and, and agree with you that it's legitimate. They're, they're receiving the communication. And then you have people who are giving the communication who are like, just get to the point. <laughs> so like naturally there's going to be a, a clash there. I think we're, you know, we don't even have awareness of how those communication styles impact our ability to receive the message. So it's like, if you're a CEO, think like an engineer, what proof would you need as an engineer that we need to move in this direction? And if you frame your, your communication in that way, at least one of the 10,000 times that you're giving it like that, you're going to have a higher likelihood that people will get on board with your message than if you're like, don't worry, I solved the problem for you. Here's the answer. Um, it's just a, you know, a thought about that. But have, have you guys seen people do that well, like being able to make that connection for different groups using different communication styles? My, my trick, and starting mostly in engineering is how I landed here, is I found that whether people like it or not, if you can present logic that just exactly what you said, yeah. uh, like a logical thought process of, of I can work through and see a plus B equals C and I might not like C, right? but I can apply logic to it. And I feel as if that leadership team has been logical, not reactive about a situation. And they've worked through not only, especially with developers, cause it's like a plus B equals C like, okay, Got it. Let's go. But still, everybody else within the organization thinks like that. Uh, they just might not be as hardcore about it as devs are. But it's like, oh, if I can, if I can see it, I understand how we got there, and I'm okay. It might be uncomfortable, yeah. but I'm okay with it, and I can get on board. So that's the only thing I've ever found personally that has allowed me to communicate effectively across the organization. I'm sure there's other tricks, but that's the yeah. attack dog Josh mode. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to let go of that. I mean, real quickly, I, I I've seen it, but it's not a, a technique. It's not a specific tactic thing. It's all used to like storytellers. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember I, I worked with someone, Ralph Kasuba, and he didn't plan it that way, but he had a wonderful demeanor, and it actually started with empathy and caring and presence. So for him, it yeah. it wasn't I need to communicate the engineers and that I need to communicate the sales or product. I mean, it was that. But he cared about every, he wasn't silo based in this thinking. He was organizational yeah. based in his thinking. He was empathetic. And then he was a, a really good communicator and he was a really good listener. And he was, a, and, he, and he asked good questions, even in forums like that. So when he was communicating that sense of urgency, he would do, he, he's what I felt like a good storyteller or a good connector or good audience management. Jobs could do that, right? Steve yeah. Jobs, I think, if you watch Jobs, he, he could do that and he could handle himself that way. I'm not saying that's the only thing, but I think storytelling and communication and sharpening that, the leaders who, who are artful at that can do a good job of setting the stage for change. Yeah, that dialogue piece. You know, I, so I think, you know, once we, we understand what is causing someone to be stuck in ambivalence or openly resist some kind of change, like the, the path through that is probably change on both sides. So how do you take, you know, their reaction or their legitimate objections to that 
and feed that into the plant. Like, you know, if you think about, like, this makes a lot of sense when you think about agile ways of working, right? You've come up with your hypothesis for what you would like the change to be or how it will move forward. And as you're getting feedback, like the people who are being asked to change are your customers in that regard. So as they're giving you feedback about, well, I can't do this because I don't have these skills or I don't have, you know, I have these other pressures on my time. You know, those complaints are so valuable. Like that, that should go onto the backlog for how you approach the change and how are you going to integrate that in. And, you know, as people see that the plan is evolving with their input, you know, I think you can pick up more people who are on board because, you know, they don't have to lose face in that like, oh, well, I rolled over, you know, there's like a ego thing in that. It's like, did you, you went up against the attack dog and you lost, <laughs> like, you know, what, what does that mean for you as your, as your own ego? Like if you don't have to lose, but you can become part of his pack, like that's a, that's a much more satisfying conclusion for that person than, you know, to have to hide with your tail between your legs. Right. <laughs> Whatever. Something but, popped but, into but my quickly. head when, can I just do a little thing, Bob? Yeah, of course. Just to add on to what Bob said, I've worked for a couple companies or helped a couple companies that were pretty darn amazing at enabling every person within the organization to understand how their role, how their work enabled success. Cool. So that yeah. discussion was a lot easier because they understood how the dots connected and how it worked upstream and downstream. And that took a lot of effort and energy from those leaders and it, it paid off. But I just remember just being like, wow, this is a well run organization because of that investment and yeah. understanding and that set them up for as a lot of big changes happened everybody got on board very quickly because they could they could see it and they could understand it okay sorry bob no no i was just gonna i, I think we've i've been negatively using the attack dog and and it goes back to the situational awareness and the context awareness sometimes all joking aside the right response. If we have 30 days and the company's going to dissolve, yep. we don't have time for kumbaya change management. <laughs> no. Right. Right. And, and I'm not saying this isn't just, this is an actuality. If yep. we don't produce, let's say a prototype to get additional funding, we have 30 days of run rate financially and then we're all out of a job. I, I think that, so, so, and that's probably another, that's the extreme end of the spectrum. But we come in heavy-handed. Yes, you, yeah. you. Yes, you want to do some empathy. Yes, you want to be artful with your communication, uh, etc. Uh, and you might want to, you know, what's in it for me? We have five right. milliseconds for what's in it for you, and never, and never going to move keep, on. You keep getting paid. <laughs> exactly. What's in it for you is we're not. I'm not behind you in the unemployment line, right? <laughs> exactly. So, 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 so there are times I, I was at a conference, uh, the local RTP agile, tri agile, uh, and, and it actually ruffles my feathers. This guy was talking, he was running an organization like this. They were on that hairy edge of survival and, and coaching Bob Gale. And I, I was like, I wanted to attack him. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Right. You're they're people, they're not resources. And I didn't say that, but he was really making me sort of uncomfortable. But I, but I, then I thought in his context, it's relevant now, yeah. now, hopefully now the other part of his context as a leader is what are you doing to evolve away from that? Right. So that you're not constantly in that as, right. as a more strategic leader, but. Well, it, you know, having those, like having awareness of like, where's your natural fit and knowing like, this is not the right situation for that. Like, like the one you've described, Bob, like it would not be good to hire me to help with that situation. Exactly. Like I, you know, I'd have to bring around like one of my like more direct and blunt friends. Like, Oh, okay. They're like, Michelle's going to try to make you feel better about it, but maybe that's after you've all lost your job. <laughs> like not, not useful. Um, but you know, I found a lot of value just kind of like, Oh, this is the space that I settle into more comfortably. And then making sure that I've brought along people who flex on the other side of that spectrum exactly. much more comfortably, you know, like, okay, this is, this is, this is not like a solve everything kind of um, solution. 
you know, all the world's a nail or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't, I don't like being attack dog Josh, but it's like, we go back to the drivers for me. It's like, okay, you hired me for this reason. You made it very clear. This has to happen quickly. Yeah. And right. All of those things. And, it, and, you know, there's been times in my career where it's like, oh shit, I got to go do this. I got to go be this person. And yeah. I'm not excited about it, but I know it's what has to happen. So I, so, so I do have to operate in that way. I would prefer to work in your manner and evolve and get there. But the, the, you know, the specialty that I've found myself in or that I've created for myself is like shits on fire. And like, yeah, but you know, gotta... what? real quickly, Josh, though, it's the trade-offs is I think Michelle said this, be aware of what you're compromising. Yeah. So we're, we're sort of looking at binary. There's Michelle's approach and Bob's approach and, and Josh's approach, but there's, there's nothing right or wrong, yeah. but there's yeah. trade-offs. So Josh's approach, if I'm applying that, what am I, I'm going to have heavy fallout. I'm going to aggravate people. I'm going to lose some good ones, right? You're not going to create resilient cultural change. The minute you leave, Josh, it's going to be a, yeah, there's a right. probability that it's going to be a house of cards and it's yeah, going to crumble, yeah. right? Because if, if you're not there. So, so there's resilience aspects to it. There's speed aspects to it. Yeah. There's a lot of right aspects to it. Skills. Back to my original story, to this day, that CTO is still the CTO of a successful yeah. company. Yeah. Right? It's just, they're, they're fine. Is it optimized? No. Is he leading effectively? Yeah, but they're they're doing they're doing fine. It it didn't it didn't approach whatever necessary thresholds to to have that happen. But I yeah. think be aware of what where trade offs are. Right. Right. I think it would be cool to do like really partner with you know. So many of these need both, right? So I I find like. I tend to do rather well with the holdouts, the laggards, the people who are really dragging their feet, but where the organization can't cleanly let them go. Maybe they hold on to like a vast treasure trove of institutional knowledge. They know it, the organization knows it, and that's their leverage. Like they would have been gone except for that they have something that is very hard to get rid of. So like th those are the people, that's kind of my sweet spot. I think it's like, okay, like, how do we, how do we move you along the curve <laughs> and what's in it for you? Like, there's something that you're not willing to give up either, right? If, if yeah. you really didn't like this or you are as invested in this organization as they are in you. So how do we move that forward? At the same time though, like the, the people who are ready to go or need yeah. a push, need, need an attack, to, you know, need that like we're going, this is happening. They need some momentum. So, you know, I could like imagine some fun scenarios where it's like exactly. Josh, cause you know, is the tip of the spear. And then, you know, some of us come around and hang and, and get all the laggards. <laughs> no, no, but it's, <laughs> it's, know. it's absolutely yeah. valid. It's, yeah. it's nuanced, right? It's right. nuanced. If, why don't we wrap it up? We've, we've gotten to our time box shop, Josh, why don't we wrap it up? If we're picking dogs, Ooh. So we are we are a three team triad. Yes. Uh, we are going to start servicing change management in our in agile or corporate world. And Josh, we've already categorized you, so you have to pick a type of dog that you're going to be. Oh my gosh! Uh, okay, and I'm going to so, go last. So, so Josh, what type of a dog are you? I mean, that, exactly the type of dog that I just acquired, a Doberman. No, no. You're, so oh. you're a do so you're a Doby. I would pick yeah. that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Michelle, could you pick Okay, so I have to be like, my dog is a greyhound named Happy. All right. <laughs> all of his day, like just laying, on, like just sleeping. And then he has a burst of activity for like five minutes in the afternoon. That's, you know, I think this is, he also shares my birthday just as a fun fact. Oh, that's wow. cool. So I like, think I'm an Australian shepherd. Oh, I'm yeah. In between. yeah. Herdy, I'm an Aussie. Friendly. Herdy. <laughs> Friendly, but a little high energy, a little yeah. bit herky jerky, <laughs> a little bit, a little. So, so, but, it. but it's the combination. But the three of us look at, yeah. look at the complementary skills of the three of us. So, That's Michelle, good. I want to thank you for coming today and exploring yes. change with us. Oh, I, I, I want to thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> it's been wonderful. Oh, no, Josh, you got to get your ears clipped in your tail, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> I will take pictures of the tail docking Medicasters. <laughs>
<laughs> I, I'm losing it here. All right. That's okay. I've got some jokes there that I'll just leave. I know. So, Michelle, <laughs> thank you. I, I really appreciate you yes. you being here. So we have a way of closing. We we and, and you'll catch up. You have to join us. So okay. from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, I'm Bob Galen. And from beautiful Fuquay Verena, North Carolina, I'm Josh Anderson. And beautiful Franklin, Tennessee. I'm Michelle Park. Shake. And you got to get in on this. Ba- bake. Bake. Yeah, bake. Is there something else bake. that rhymes with bake? No. <laughs> Take care. Take Shake care, y'all. Have bad. a great day. <laughs>